excited to have Jim Simmons with us today. He, di he died the other day. He literally died the other day. He had a heart issue, and he was in the hospital, and he was defibrillated, what, six times? I'm sorry, eight times, and I want to cut him short. And uh, God was gracious. We prayed for him on Thursday night. We went and visited him, Terry and I, on Thursday after service, and God's been gracious, obviously released him from the hospital. So praise God. It's good to have you. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Let's go ahead and stand for the reading of God's word. Apostle Paul writing to this church at Thessalonica in Greece. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good work and our word and work. Father, once again, as we come before you, we just lift up your word. It's that which we cling to during trying times. And I just pray, Father, as we open it this morning, that you would speak to us, that your truths would be planted deep within our hearts, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Before we get on with our study in verses 13 through 17, I know a lot of our ladies weren't here when we were in chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. I just want to back up a little bit and read verse 9 through to verse 12. It says, The coming of the lawless one, and we know that is the Antichrist, is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, with all unrighteous deception amongst those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasures in unrighteousness. And we've seen how this can so easily come to pass in the future because it came to pass today with the decision that was rendered. What was the decision that was rendered concerning Marriage that is contrary to God, well, it's based upon they had pleasure in unrighteousness. They had pleasure in pleasure because they believed the lie and they did not believe in the truth. And so what did God send them? God sent them strong delusion. What's the delusion that God sent them? That this is good, that this is right, that this is a neat thing, that this is a unifying thing. Well, apart from God, man in his flesh seems right to me. There's a way that seems right to a man. The Bible tells us in the end is the way of death. We just continue to conduct ourselves according to biblical principles. We're in the light of the decision that was made by the Supreme Court. We've got some decisions that are going to need to be made, and you need to pray for the church. Not that the church is going to go away. The church is not going to go away. The church is not going to be deleted of its power unless we allow that to happen. We continue to move forward. But the dynamic of the church may be greatly changed. 
if we make a stand, which we will, and I'm sure a lot of the other churches will. I have a pastor's conference coming up in a couple of weeks. It'll be interesting to see what happens there. We need to make some decisions. Are we going to continue to do marriages at all? Is that going to become a state-run thing? If we decide to do marriages between a man and a woman and not between a man and a man or a woman and a woman, we can now be legally sued and we may cease to exist as we exist right now. We may be going back to the how things began. We may be going back to humble beginnings, but I think that's a good thing. I think we've gotten very comfortable in our, you know, just think if we would have to have service outside. Right now, I just came from outside. It's 100 degrees out there and 99% humidity or whatever it is, such as it happens in California. Are we still, would we still gather together for the word to continue to stay rooted and grounded in the truth? Decisions that we need to make. I had no idea that they were going to make the decision that they made at the time that they made it. And I put this study together before the decision of the Supreme Court was, was made public anyway. And it just relates so well to what's going on today. So consider these things. Now, the Apostle Paul had just said about end times that, well, they're coming. They're going to be upon us. Paul thought back in his day, I think in my day, and my grandson will probably think in his day, if the Lord does not come back in my day. He spoke about the Antichrist, lying signs and wonders, the perversion of truth, but now he seeks to offer comfort to the body of Christ. Comfort to the body of Christ in the things that are going to be going on and the things that are going on in his present day. Now, the Antichrist is going to be this figure that comes upon the scene in the end days. But even as the Apostle John said, there's many Antichrists that have come out even today. And there are, these are those, not the Antichrist, but those who are contrary to the Lord, contrary to the truth of God of the Scriptures. And so as these things are a reality today, as we see, well, which way is the church going? Which way is the truth going? Which way is this country going? We can have comfort in Christ. Now, he does so by two main ways that we all need to consider in these verses. He's telling us to not be insecure in our Christian beliefs and to not be weak in our Christian beliefs. Now, remember, there are four things that the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, tells us to not be ignorant of. If you are ignorant in any of these things, you will find yourself weak and insecure. First thing is in Romans chapter 11, verse 25. Do not be ignorant of God's dealing with Israel. Because as I look at Israel, I'm reminded God is in control. He told Abraham way back in Genesis chapter 12, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. Throughout all of the history of mankind, everybody who has blessed Israel has been blessed. Everybody who has cursed Israel has been cursed. So in Israel... I see that God truly is in control. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, we're told to not be ignorant of our spiritual gifts. Again, if you're a born-again believer, you have been gifted spiritually somehow, some way. And we are to exercise those spiritual gifts, but you can't do that unless you know what your spiritual gifting is and you have a responsibility not only to identify it, and if you seek the Lord, he may be found. God will show you what your spiritual gifting is, but also exercise it. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. We are told not to be ignorant of trials in our lives, to understand that this is not God punishing us, not to think that this is me not really being saved, 
but understand that God's got reason and purpose in the trials of our lives to refine us and to grow us. And then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we're told not to be ignorant of eschatology, of end-time events, that we would know that as we look around, not only in our immediate area, but worldwide, things are going to get worse. Now, when I say worse, things are going to get more and more unbiblical. These things are going to happen. And if you're, if you're unaware of these things, they're going to catch you by surprise and lead you to despair. But if you understand the biblical perspective of these things, it should encourage you. Not that you desire for this to happen, but God said that this is going to happen and this is happening. Once again, it tells me who's in control. Now, what are the areas that the church is most ignorant in? God's dealing with Israel, spiritual giftings, trial in this current life, and eschatology. And so we have a responsibility But the sin is never in ignorance. The sin is in remaining ignorant. And so in God's word, it teaches us and trains us in these truths. Why did God's people remain ignorant in these areas? Because with knowledge comes the the understanding of reality. With reality comes responsibility. And a lot of times with responsibility comes fear. And then with fear comes cowering. Cowering comes just curling up in a ball in a corner and not doing anything. But there's things that we have to realize, that we would have knowledge, that we would understand the reality of the world's situation, that we, the church, would assume responsibility, that fear, we would overcome fear, and we would be proactive in our Christian faith. Now, I cannot do this in the flesh, and I would not expect you to do it in the flesh, but we're told in the book of Ephesians, this won't be on the board, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, now to him, now I, I would quote this a lot, but we ought not, as I do, leave off the, 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 the following verse. Now to him, speaking of God, who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. A power that works in us? The Holy Spirit. The Holy is through the Holy Spirit that I can persevere through the happenings that are going on in the world. Verse 21, to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And then turning over to Mark, Mark chapter 16. This is the area of the Great Commission as it appears in the Gospel of Mark. For those of us who think we can't when God told us to, in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, it says, And he, Jesus, said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. But he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons and they will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them, and they will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. And so I'm looking at this, I'm thinking, well, we could have a poison drinking. We could have a tongue speaking. We, we can have a sick healing. I was thinking about the snake thing. Maybe we can have a snake charming. Well, that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about these oppositions as you go out into the world 
whether the world is next door to you, maybe even in your house or on the other side of the world, literally for the purpose of making disciples, all of these things of opposition, you'll be able to persevere. You'll be able to push through. So I don't care what the Supreme Court says. It's a court of man. I don't care what the laws that are passed. I mean, I'm respectable, respectable, respectable to them, but they do not supersede the will of God. Peter, he was told not to preach the gospel. But he said, am, am I to be obedient to you or am I to be obedient to God? And God supersedes all. We have our commission. We know that there's going to be opposition. We need to continue to march forward. We need to continue to push forward. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear. So if you have a spirit of fear, that's not of God, that's of you, it's of your flesh. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but what has he given us? Power. Power. Dynamic power. Dynamic. What does dynamic power mean? That means power in operation. Because to give you just power doesn't do any good. Power has to be realized. It has to be used. So I could be the most powerful person in the world, but unless I exercise it, it doesn't do me any good. So we have dynamic power of love. We don't do these things in hate. We don't go out mocking people. Don't go out making fun of persecuting gay people or anything like that. They're all sinners that need to be saved. We go out in a spirit of love, but also a sound mind having the gospel and understanding it in such a way that I'm able to deliver it. I'm able to deliver it in a reasonable way so that others may be saved, that they would see the truthfulness of God's word. I have a quote by an author unknown. It says, it's not the burdens of every day that cause men to cringe. It is the regret of yesterday and the fear of tomorrow. Regret and fear are the twin thieves that rob us of today. Forget tomorrow. Tomorrow's gone. Tomorrow's done. If you need to repent, repent, but then push on. What's going to happen tomorrow? What's this country coming to? I don't know. It doesn't matter. God knows. But as for today, he has given us today. He's given us this moment and every moment thereafter. And so, Lord, enable us, enable me to glorify your holy name by being an obedient Christian to your word. Now, Paul's encouragement after enlightenment concerning the things of end time, do not be insecure. Verses 13 and 14 again. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, to which he called you by our gospel for the attaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't be insecure. You're a child of God. See, when your God is a big God, when your God is over all of the other gods, when your God is Lord God over all of the world, you really have nothing to fear. You really have nothing at all to fear. It's when... It's when we forget who our God is. When we forget the love, the great love with which God has for us. When we forget the abilities and the desires of our God, it's when we fall into fear and we become insecure. Man's biggest fear has always been the future. What might happen tomorrow can become a lot bigger than what is going on today. 
we build these big monsters in our minds and they cause our bodies to become paralyzed. Kind of like a child in bed, afraid of that monster under the bed, pulls the covers over his head and yells for mom. And I always wondered about that. Wouldn't the monster know that they're awake and come? Well, anyway. I can remember doing that as a kid. I remember waking up in the middle of the night and calling for mom because I was afraid and I'd pull the covers over my head. And we as the church have done that at times, calling for the Lord, but we pulled the covers over our head and God says, just step out of the bed. There ain't no monsters there. And anything that might be there, I'm big enough to overcome whatever it might be. What better way of encouraging a believer in this area than to remind them of the eternal security of the born-again believer? You must be a born-again believer, and if you are, you are to be eternally secure. This is eternal security based upon God's irrevocable choice for us, based upon his foreknowledge. Foreknowledge. Again, we're told in Isaiah, we'll get there at some day in our Sunday evening study, but God inhabits eternity. That means God exists right now in the future. And so if God exists right now in the future, he knows how everything's going to come out. And even in the past, on the day that you were born, God existed in the future so that he would know the day of your salvation. And so the predestination of God, it's based upon the foreknowledge of God. God knew of the decisions that you would make. And we've just seen here the gospel still needed to be presented. He says he called us to which he called you by, in verse 14, by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's always the necessity of the preaching of the gospel. Personally, I believe that God has not created anybody for the fires of hell. We're told that hell was created for Satan and the demons. It's man who makes the choice by refusing to make a choice for Christ that he is going to be condemned. But as far as me, as far as you, as far as the born-again believer, God, by his foreknowledge, knew that you were going to be his child. He knew this from the foundation of the world. In Romans chapter 8, verses 29 through 30, it says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Well, he predestined you, he called you. How did he call you? He called you through the gospel. The gospel was preached to you. Whom he called, these he also justified. As I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I was justified. Again, justification to be seen just as if you have never sinned. You are a sinner, but God chooses, this is the divine power of God who chooses to see you just as if you never sinned. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Now I am not glorified right now. I will not be glorified until I am in heaven, until I receive my glorified body in which sin will no longer have an effect upon it. But God also chooses to see me as if it has already happened. And so... The Lord left us with these words concerning security in him. In John chapter 10, verses 27 through 29, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And they follow me, and I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. The Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Now, some people have used this verse as far as, 
you can't lose your salvation to the point of you can't walk away from the Lord. And yeah, it could have that element of truth, but that's not really what I'm looking at here because if you walk away from the Lord, you need to doubt your salvation. You need to do the elementary things again of salvation. You need to repent and know that you're right with God. What was the doctrine that John the Baptist and Jesus Christ preached? Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And so if you're sinning apart from repentance, you really need to question your status with a holy God. But Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I heard his voice for a long time, but I was a disobedient sheep. There there was the conviction upon my heart. In 1975, I think it was, a friend of mine brought me down to Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. There was some guy with long hair and a beard. I don't know if it was Greg Laurie or not. I just don't have a clue who it was. And I heard the gospel, and my friend asked me, do you want to go down? I'll go down with you. And I said, no, but I knew I was supposed to go. I knew because I heard the voice of my shepherd. I couldn't have explained it like that at the time. But I knew that God was was impressing upon my heart my need to come to him. My sheep hear my voice. And then finally there was the day that I surrendered in obedience to his voice. But it says, and I know know them. He knew me. He knew me all that time. Why? Because of the foreknowledge of God. He understood the day of my salvation. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me sooner or later. That's why we never stop praying for ones who have either wandered away or haven't come to God. Because sooner or later, if they are truly his, they will follow him. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. What God has given you, can man take away? Again, Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus and he spoke the way of salvation. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the preaching of the word. And so kind of thinking backward on that, how would one lose their salvation? It would have to be being undone through the power of the Holy Spirit. Anywhere in the Bible you see God reversing the process? That makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. And then what what would be the catalyst for the reversing of the process? I know what the catalyst is for the Holy Spirit coming and creating me to be into that new person. It's the preaching of the Word. And so... I don't have the words that carry any power apart from the gospel. So I don't really see how anybody could lose their salvation. I've lost my keys before. I've lost my wallet before. I've tried to lose my children before. But you cannot lose your salvation. That's supernaturally given to you by God. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. You can put yourself under that category of all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. So remember these things as the world is perishing, as it's on that slippery slope going downhill. The Lord has told us this was going to happen. And even as your mind works overtime of things of no spiritual profit, dwell upon God. Why? Because we're told right here, you are God's beloved. If you're a born-again believer, you're God's beloved. God looks upon you, and it causes love to well up inside of his heart. I don't mean to be sappy here, but it's a reality. It's a reality. As God looks down upon you, he sees you as his beloved. Remember the apostle John? What did he call himself? I was the one who God loves. No, you're not. I'm the one God loves. You people are toast. I'm the one he... Everybody should feel like that. Why would John be so bold to write that? Because 
he's the only one that was at the foot of the cross and looked up into the eyes of love as Jesus was paying the price for his sins. He understood the magnitude of the love of God and not just the love of God blanket statement because that doesn't do you a lot of good, but the love of God personally. How the love of God could fill the heart of somebody to such a degree that he was overwhelmed that he could write that, which seems so arrogant, but in actuality is so true, I'm the one whom Jesus loved. Don't forget, when hearing those God will judge in the end times, there are always the contrast of those whom he has redeemed. Don't dwell upon the judgment of God. It is a reality, unfortunately, but as for right now, we preach the love, that God so loved the world that he sent his only son, who would ever believe in him, would not perish, but have everlasting life. It's the essence of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Also know this. Not only does he love you, again, he chose you. God did not get stuck with you. God chose you. He saw you in a state yet unformed and decided he wanted you. It's an amazing thing. 34 years ago, I looked, no, 35 years ago, I looked down upon a very pitiful person. And I chose her. I chose her to become my wife. I chose her simply because I loved her. I didn't chose her because of me. Matter of fact, I thought I was kind of unworthy at the time. But I chose her, and more importantly, for me anyway, she chose me. In actuality, Terry's been married for 35 years. You've got to figure in the first husband and the second husband. The first husband, same name, just a different man. But God came in and changed and made a profound change in, in my life, in her life, and in our marriage. And people say, oh, what a testimony. It's a testimony to God. It's a testimony to God and the tolerance of a woman. But still, the testimony of God and what God is, is able to do through the hard times and through the times of arguing, because everybody argues or have loud discussions, passionate discussions, and, and everything else through four kids and all of those things and, and the things that are going to happen in the future. But you see the choices that we make. Well, what about the choice that God makes? Now, again, marriage is that which is ordained by God, and it's God's desire that we would be married forever. So how much more so to the choices that God makes as he joins you together with him, would that be a permanent thing? It would be a permanent and everlasting thing. And so I see all the things that are going on. Guess what? On Friday, the world didn't end. It's going in a bad direction, but it didn't end. What is it? It's a wake-up call. It's a wake-up call for God's people, the one whom he loved to get busy because there's people out there who are perishing. Who's perishing? Who's not perishing? I don't have that foreknowledge. It's God who has that foreknowledge. But for the ones who are going to be saved, who are chosen by him, he wants the gospel preached. Now, if we be quiet, even the stones would cry out. But nonetheless, we need to be faithful in what God has called us to do and to be proactive in what God has called us to do. In Ephesians 1.4, just as he chose us in him, 
before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And so you see there's the choosing, but then there's the responsibility. Now my choosing is not based upon my obedience to that responsibility, but I am to be obedient to that responsibility based upon the choice that God has made for me, that I would live a life that is holy and without blame before him and in love. I don't care what the world does. We need to stay rooted and grounded before the truth of God so that we would know what is well-pleasing to God so that we would be obedient to God. And so this doctrine of predestination, Pastor Mike, are we becoming Calvinist? No, we're biblicalist. This is what the Bible has to say today. What does predestination tell me of the relationship that I have with God? Number one, it tells me he caused this new me, this new creation that I am, to happen. Titus chapter 3, verse 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing and regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, predestination tells me, well, he is to be exalted. Psalm 115, verse 1, not unto us, O Lord, but unto you, but to your name give glory because of your mercy, because of your truth. Predestination, it should be producing joy in your life. Joy, joy even in the midst of trials and tribulations. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, Whom having not seen, you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible, full of glory. Fourthly, predestination grants me privileges. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Fifthly, predestination, it should promote holiness in my life. Holiness or separation from the world. Colossians 3, 12 through 13, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, because you're elect of God, because you're holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving with one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Christ forgave you in grace, you must be gracious as well. Sixthly, predestination provides security. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, be confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work and you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So when did he choose you? He chose you from the beginning. That means the beginning of eternity. Why did he choose you? He chose you unto salvation, that you would be saved. How did he choose you? Through the sanctification of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. There had to be the preaching of the gospel. God does not just randomly save people. God saves people through the preaching of the gospel. So, now know this. You're a special person. You're a special person regardless of what's going on in the world, regardless of, well, the things that you may have done in the past or or things you may have done today. You're a special person. We're, We're seeing here in verses, again, 13 and 14, but we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, beloved brethren, by the Lord. Because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in truth. Sanctification by the Spirit, sanctification or separation. He has taken you 
and he has separated you from the world. He separated you from all those who are going to be judged. He separated you from those who one day are going to be condemned. We are no longer condemned, but we look forward to that glorious time that we will be in the presence of God, that we will be able to look up into the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if it's through death or through rapture. To be absent from the body is to be in the presence of the Lord. And that's the great hope. When I do a funeral, and I've done quite a few funerals as of lately, but that's the great hope that we have that that person still exists. You know, that, that even as they're lowering them into the ground, that person still exists. The thing is, they're not there. If they're a born-again believer, they're in the presence of Jesus Christ. And it's those words that we are to comfort one another with, that as God has chosen you, he's going to eternally keep you. And that's just an amazing concept when you think about it. Because I look at myself in the mirror and think, I don't know if I'd keep me. I would have thrown me back a long time ago. I know some of you, and I'm not sure why God saved you either, but that's a great love with which God has for all of us, and it's truly a blessing without a doubt. Now, Paul's encouragement after enlightening, enlightening them about the end times and encouraging them to not be insecure, he tells them, don't be weak. This, should, this security should foster a strength in you, a spiritual strength, a physical strength in you. Verse 15. Therefore, beloved brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or by epistle. That's the verse of the day. That's the verse of the year. It's the verse of our times right now. Therefore, brethren, Christian, stand fast. Stand fast? Well, you only stand fast. The only way to stand fast is if there is opposition. And I only know that I am standing fast when there is opposition. We have opposition today. Are you standing fast? Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold on to what? Your thoughts, your ideas, whatever. No, the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or by our epistle. We are to be strong in the traditions. Not the traditions of men. Not the traditions of denominations. Not in the traditions even of the early church necessarily. What was Jesus' main complaint or charge against the religious community of their day? Their traditions became greater than the traditions of God. Now, I think we're, we're given a little bit of a picture here on what those traditions are. The traditions which you were taught either by word. Word would be in reference to the Old Testament. Or our epistle be referenced to the New Testament. It's those traditions that we are to hold on to. A tradition, a tradition is simply a thing that is handed down. And so Paul's referring to those things that are handed down by the prophets of the Old Testament. Isaiah 40, verse 8. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. Or the New Testament, Jude 3. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation... I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. That's a verse that you should know, you should have marked in your Bible, that you should know where it is and be prepared with. That's a verse that I use when I'm confronted by cults. 
I'm confronted by Mormons, I'm confronted by Jehovah Witnesses, anybody who has altered the word of God or has added new, what they say is new revelation to the word of God. No, you didn't. Well, we've got these prophets. No, they're not. Well, maybe they are prophets, but they're false prophets. This is why, because Jude wrote way back whenever that this faith was delivered once and for all. Once and for all. Once and for everybody. Then that means there's nothing new that is necessary. We have everything that God desires for us to have. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says the secret things of the Lord. So anything that's not revealed, God chose to not reveal it for whatever his divine reasons are. But we have everything that is necessary for holiness and godly living. You have a lifetime of learning on your lap right now. Even if you've memorized. Anybody memorize the whole Bible? I didn't think so. So right there you've got something to do for the rest of your days. But just the learning. Again, I read through the Bible every year. I've been reading through the Bible, I think, every year since 2002. And every year that I read through the Bible, I find something new. And when I say new, to me. I find something new to me. Something that God has shown me. It was a favorite saying of John. Well, I thought it was a favorite saying of John Corson, but then I found somebody else who said it that is older than John Corson, said it before John Corson, so he ripped him off. He's a plagiarist. But you can call me a plagiarist because I'm ripping it off and taking it too. If it's true, it's not new. If it's new, it's not true. End of story. If it's true, it's not new. There's nothing new under the sun. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 through 3. And if it's new, it's not true. Somebody comes up to you with new revelation, you can just pretty much in your mind, this isn't going to be true. There's no new revelation. Things are going to go along as they are until one day we're raptured. We're gone. End of story. That's it. We are to fulfill the time. We are to abide in his word. We are to share his word. We are to be in fellowship and be in prayer But if you're looking for something new, you're going to fall into man's false ways. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13, we are to watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, and be strong. Based upon all of what Paul has just said, and understanding the magnitude of judgment, well, it should be leading us to an understanding of the magnitude of the grace of God. Understand the the, the magnitude of judgment, but also understand through that the magnitude of the grace of God that he's kept me from this judgment. I should stand strong and I should be strengthened during this day. And again, it's going to get worse. Things are going to get morally worse. There's no doubt about that. Stand strong. Stand strong because you're not standing strong in your strength. You're standing strong in God. Now, growing up, how do we determine strength we determine strength usually by size you know you look at Arnold Schwarzenegger from my generation Arnold Schwarzenegger and Don Knotts now if they're going to have a wrestling match where are you going to put your money if you were a betting person well if Arnold Schwarzenegger and Don Knotts were going to wrestle I'd take all of today's offering and put it on Arnold I wouldn't really do that but I'm just saying because he's 10 times bigger than him and besides Don Knotts is dead so Arnold should win, <laughs> or Pee Wee Herman, or whoever it might be, the latest wimpy guy. Well, 
that leads me to ask you, how big are you? Well, you're not very big and you're not very strong against all that's going on today. The devil's probably proven that to you time and time again. And so it depends upon your God. Well, then I would ask you, how big is your God? Are you a small God person who's God? Probably not going to do anything. Are you a medium God person? Well, maybe he'll work today. Maybe he won't. Are you a big God person? Is your God big? Is your God the God of the Bible? And understanding that the God of the Bible who's done all of these things is the God that cares for me today. Because a big God person, a big God person is going to stand in the strength of the Lord who abides within him. He's going to stand against opposition. And not just stand against opposition, he's going to persevere through opposition. Yeah, there's going to be the devil who condemns you. There's going to be sin that can so slow you down. But again, we're going to live in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ and push through in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be a people of passion for holiness because when we lose holiness, we lose strength. And when we lose strength, we lose momentum. Then, lastly, we have the contemplation of Paul that leads us to a prayer from Paul, verses 16 and 17. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. So, in the Christian faith, How is security and strength revealed? Through the practice of God's truth given through belief. Through doing God's word through an intense belief in God's word. See, your belief, whatever it is you believe in, should radically and profoundly affect your life. There was a group of people, a minority in this country, that believed that same-sex marriage was a good thing to happen. Look what they did for a lie. What are you willing to do for a truth? I keep hearing how, how much of a minority the gay community is and how much of a majority the Christian community is. But if you look at it from the laws that are on the book and the way the country is trending, you would think that these guys are the majority. You would think that these guys have the power. They do have a power, but it's a demonic power. But you have a divine power. Why aren't we overcoming? Why aren't we persevering? Because we're not pushing. Because we have not allowed our beliefs to, pro- to profoundly affect our manner of living. To enable us to overcome the world. Are you a person who is praying? I'm not asking you, have you said a prayer? or Do you say prayers? But do you pray? Do you pray earnestly? Now, I can just look at a cross-section of the church and say, no. Our prayer meeting is the least attended thing that we do at all. We have prayer before service every Sunday morning. We have prayer after service with a group up here. We have a once a month prayer meeting. And then Tuesday through Friday, we meet here every day at the church at noontime for prayer. We need to be a people who are praying. And I'm saying that, okay, because you don't come, you're not a person of prayer. But are you a person of prayer who prays diligently and passionately? Do you really believe that God's word is God's word? Do you believe that God breathed these things? I mean, they, they came from the mouth of God to the ear and then into the heart of men and women. Must consider this. Do I really believe in God's word? Do I really believe that God's word is not going to fade away, but it changes by the times? Well, who's the one who determines what the times are? Man. Do you really think that man can manipulate the word of God? He can't. He just 
can't. Unfortunately, we try to change it, and we just do damage to our own lives, both nationally and personally. James chapter 1, verses 20 through 22 through 25, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in the mirror, for he observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. What does James mean? You look into the mirror and you see, oh, what a sinful man that I am. What a great God that I have. This is what God has called me to. I see so clearly. And then you put the Bible down and you forget. Or it's revealed to you as you're sitting in God's congregation and you see yourself so clearly and you understand the changes that you need to make. But then when you walk out of here, you completely forget and you just go back to the natural man according to your way and according to your will. May it not be. So for the purpose of words and works, Paul prays that the church would be comforted and established. Comforted, we saw it in the first two verses of chapter 2. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ has come. The day of Christ has not come. It didn't come back then, and it has yet to come today, so we are to continue to push forward. Established, when you are established in your Christian walk, it means that it has been caused for you to become strong, firm, unchanging in attitude or in belief. So, another time. I'll close with this thought. Another time at this service, another time right now. It's a personal time between you and God. Not giving an altar call so much now or raising of hands or anything, but just for you to make a consideration, for you to look in the mirror. Look in the mirror right now and see yourself so clearly. Take this personal picture of your relationship with the Lord, this current snapshot, and understand where you're at with the Lord. In your walk with the Lord, let me ask you, are you holding fast or are you slipping away? You need to consider that. Why? Because everybody here, everybody here is either holding fast to their faith or they're slipping away. Which one are you? There's no middle ground here. You're either holding fast to faith or you're slipping away. If you're maturing in your Christian life, you're in the process of holding fast. Are you growing in your Christian life? Are you serving the Lord Jesus Christ? If you are doing those things, then you're holding fast. But if you're slipping away, if you're in a state of regression, or just as bad, maybe not, maybe even worse, if you're just simply staying static, then you're slipping away. And I've seen that. I've seen that so clearly within the body of Christ. Somebody who's front and center. Maybe you're sitting in the back, but front, you're at every service. Yeah, there are three times a week, and you're excited, and you got the word, and then all of a sudden you're kind of, well, you're there once in a while. And then you're sitting out into the, in the foyer rather than coming in with the body of Christ. I know there's reasons that people are out there, but I've seen this regression, and then sooner or later you're out the door, and it's, whatever happened to so-and-so? Oh, yeah, I, 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 want, I had forgotten about them. Why do we forget about them? Not because they just left, because they just kind of 
slipped away and slipped out the door. And so you got to consider. you got to consider yourself. Are you holding fast to your faith or are you slipping away? And make no mistake about it. If you're staying static, if you're the same as you were last year, then you're slipping away. How do I know that? Are you serving the Lord as you served the Lord last year? Or have you increased in your service to the Lord? Are you in God's word to the same degree that you've been in God's word a year ago, two years ago, three years ago? Then you're probably staying static. Your prayer life. And you need to make these evaluations because I'm not condemning you, but hopefully the Spirit convicts you. And as you're convicted by the Holy Spirit, that the year to come would be the year that you grasp back onto your faith and you held fast regardless of the current that's coming up against us. So as each of us asks ourselves and make the determination if we're holding fast or slipping away, we need to understand that held fast faith is to grasp onto the faith which, which Christ has grasped onto us. The elementary things of our salvation, but also the things that we learn as we grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. As far as those who are slipping away, well, Jesus said that held fast faith is a sure sign of salvation. Matthew 24, verse 13 says, He who endures to the end will be saved, because you know that that's genuine faith. Fastly held faith is enduring faith, which is true faith. What about those who have slipped away? That's the sad part. I don't know where they're at with the Lord. I don't know. If somebody's not walking rightly or strongly with the Lord, nobody knows. There's people in here right now, and I don't know who, I'm not pointing at anybody. hope you think I'm pointing at you if you're one of them. But there's people in here right now, if that the rapture happened right now, you would not go. You would not go. And so I need to evaluate myself. Where am I at with the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm going to just simply leave you with that, that you would make that decision and that you would come before the Lord and this is just between you and God. If there's a change that is necessary, you would make that change. That you would understand and that you would know that, yeah, yeah, regardless of what's going on around me, I'm in the faith and I'm going to stand strong in the faith because God has stood strong with me. Father, once again, I just lift up, Lord, everybody who hears this or will hear this study, that, Lord, you would minister to us where we are at. That, Lord, this study would not foster in insecurity unless we're not secure in you and so father that conviction would be a good thing and so lord may we truly consider ourselves as we look into the perfect law of liberty this perfect mirror that you have given us that we would know if we're holding fast or slipping away and lord if the case is if we're slipping away that we would stop that slide and father we would come back to the place where we need to be and lord i just pray that you would make this message because i know there's different situations and circumstances I just pray that nobody would use those situations or circumstances for an excuse. But truly, Lord, wherever we're at in our walk, that, Lord, you would meet us there and that you would strengthen us. How much more so in these days that are growing more and more dark, that, Lord, we would truly shine as a light for your glory, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you all stand, please?